Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're glad that you're here today. We're going to be looking at Luke 14, the passage that Tanner read a moment ago. We're going to be specifically looking at verses 16 down through verse 24. We're grateful that you're here today. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We'd love to have you with us again tonight and then next Sunday. We're grateful for the number of visitors that come our way from week to week. And we hope and pray that the time that you are here with us, that it will be a blessing to you and that you will want to come back. It might be the case that you're looking for a church home and as always, we invite you to consider the work here. We're, glad, we're very glad and grateful for those that have placed membership with us. And it might be that you're in the process of looking for a church home and we'd love to have you be a part of this great family. Today as we look at Luke chapter 14 and as we zero in on verses 16 through 24, we're going to be talking specifically about how some folks are masters when it comes to making excuses. There are some folks in the world, and you probably know them, that have an excuse for everything. There are folks that try to run businesses and they have employees that have an excuse for why they haven't done this or done that or why they're late for this or that. And then I think about school teachers. How oftentimes they have students that will make excuses as to why they're not ready for a test or why they haven't completed a project or a term paper. And then in the spiritual realm, there are some that have excuses. They're excuses for why they haven't become a Christian. They're excuses for why they're not more involved in the work of the church. And so today we want to look at Luke chapter 14 and think about this idea of making excuses when it comes to the kingdom of God. I want to begin by first of all talking about the fact that there were entreatments, that is, there were invitations that were sent out and how that applies to us. Note, if you would, in verse 16, Jesus said, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. I want you to think with me for just a moment or two about how there is the invitation to salvation in the kingdom. God is interested in the souls of people. As a matter of fact, God is in the saving business. God is interested in your, in your salvation. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost in Luke 19.10. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then I think about the words of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 when he said, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God is interested in each and every soul, so much so that he sent his Son to die for your sins and for mine. Those who come to Christ can expect, first of all, forgiveness. To know that we can be forgiven of any and every sin. 
The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 7 that it is in Jesus that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The Bible tells us that the forgiveness that we enjoy is absolute, that we do not have to experience the burden and the shame and the guilt of sin once we come to Christ. For the Hebrew writer said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And then there is fellowship. We think about having forgiveness from God, but then what about having fellowship with God? Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, that God is faithful by whom we have been called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. When John wrote in the latter part of the first century, in 1 John chapter 1, in verse 3, he said, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you may have fellowship with us, for truly our fellowship is with God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son. Those of us that obey the gospel, we have fellowship with one another, but we also have fellowship with God in heaven. And then there is the idea of having a future with God, to know that one day we can spend eternity with Almighty God. We talk about God being in the saving business. God is interested in each and every one of us spending eternity with Him in a place called heaven. Paul said that we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Peter said that God has given unto us an inheritance and he said that inheritance is incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fades not away, and he said it's reserved in heaven for you. And so first there is the invitation to salvation in the kingdom. And then secondly, there is the invitation to service in the kingdom. Did you know that we have been saved to serve? Paul said that we have been created in Christ Jesus under good works which God beforehand prepared for those of us to walk in them. You see, you and I, we have been saved by the marvelous, matchless grace of Almighty God. And because of that grace and because of the blessings of redemption, we ought to have a desire to be active in His kingdom. I think about the words of Titus in Titus chapter 2 at verse 7 where the Apostle Paul said that we are to show ourselves as a pattern of good works. In chapter 3 at verse 1, he said we are to be ready unto every good work. In chapter 3 verse 8 of that same book, he said be careful to maintain good works. So God is interested in us serving in his kingdom. There are lots of opportunities for us to serve in the kingdom. We have the opportunity to share the gospel with others. We have the opportunity to teach and to edify, to build up one another in the body of Christ. And then there is the privilege that we have of serving those who have material needs as well as spiritual needs. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 at verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
So first of all, there are some entreatments. That is, there are some invitations given. But then secondly, according to Jesus, there are some excuses. Listen, if you would, to verse 18. In verse 18, the invitations have been sent out. And Jesus said, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. Now, first of all, I want you to consider with me the plausibility of the excuses. Note, if you would, the excuses that are given to those that have received an invitation. The first said, I bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Jerry and I were talking about this passage the other day. And he said, I've always thought about that passage and asked the question, who buys a piece of land without seeing it? And then he said, I bought a piece of land without ever having seen it. So sometimes we buy things sight unseen. But here's a fellow that bought a piece of ground and now wants to go and check it out. And then another said, I bought five, five yoke of ox, oxen. And he said, I'm going to go test them. I ask you to have me excused. And then another said, I married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. When I think about the excuses that have been given, three very specific excuses. They're conceivable. I mean, they're all logical to some extent. They're credible. I don't have any doubt about the legitimacy of these excuses. But the bottom line is, they were just that, excuses. What about the problem with excuses? When you think about the word excuse, what comes to your mind? Sometimes we use the word excuse to justify our behavior, our actions. Sometimes we use it in an attempt to negate some type of responsibility. Now, all of these guys had legitimate, bona fide excuses, at least in their mind. But yet again, we go back and we talk about excuses, and they're just that. They are excuses. We've seen a lot of folks in the world that are masters at excuses. They always have an excuse for any and everything. What about excuses in the spiritual realm? What about when it comes to becoming a child of God? There are folks that have any number of excuses as to why they can't become a Christian. One of the, I guess, most prevalent excuses that is used is the idea, I just don't know enough. Many of us have heard that. There are lots of people that say, you know what, I would become a Christian, but I just don't know enough. Let me ask you this. When Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, do you understand that? All of us understand that statement. Paul said, there's none righteous, no, not one. So based on that, we're sinners. Sin is the transgression of the law. That means that every person that has reached 
The age of accountability is under sin. Now the Bible says the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, verse 23. That means if you are outside of Christ, you're without hope and without God in the world, Ephesians 2, verse 12. So if that's the status, then here's what you need to do. You need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. The Lord said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot come. Do you believe that? Would you be willing to repent of your sins? Peter said on Pentecost Day to those present in the city of Jerusalem, some of whom had a part in the death of Jesus. He said, repent. Repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind, followed by a change of actions. In other words, it's a changed life. Do you understand that? And then the Bible talks about the eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verse 37, who acknowledged that he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? And then Peter said on Pentecost Day, not only were those present to repent, they needed to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Do you understand that? If you understand that, then you know enough. You know enough to be baptized into Christ. When you do that, God will put you in the church, Acts 2.47. Now, why do you need to be a member of the church? Because the Bible says he's the Savior of the body. Now, there are a lot of folks in the world today, they say, I don't know enough. You know enough. If you were to stand before God in the judgment today, you'd have to be honest with God and say, I knew what I needed to do. I'd heard it. Now, there are some folks that will say, you know what? I would become a Christian, but you just don't understand my past. You don't realize how bad a person I really am. You don't understand where I've been. You don't understand what I've done. You don't understand the depth of sin in my life. Maybe I don't. Maybe I don't know how bad a person you are. Maybe I don't know how bad a person you think you are, but I know this. The Bible says that where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Have you ever committed murder? Have you ever taken the life of another person? There are people in our world. There may be some here today. It might be the case that you have physically taken the life of another person. You can be forgiven. How do I know that? Because the Apostle Paul was a murderer. He's a persecutor, but he was a murderer. And Paul said, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant in faith and love in Christ Jesus. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Paul's saying, look, you're a murderer, I've been there, but I'm forgiven. It might be that your life is marred by alcohol or drugs. It might be that you're a thief or that you've stolen in the past. Maybe you have engaged in sexual immorality. And in your mind, there's just no way God in heaven could ever forgive you. Or when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, know you not that your 
He said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he said, But such were some of you, but you were washed. Now you just think about that. If you have in your mind that you are just too bad a person to ever be saved, then what about the Corinthians? What about the Apostle Paul? And then there are those that will say, you know what, I'd become a child of God. I would, I would like to be a member of the church. But I see some folks that are just hypocrites. They say one thing and they do something completely different. I understand that. And you know what? There are folks in the church, they are hypocrites. And let me tell you what, if they step outside this world into that eternal realm and they're living the life of a hypocrite, I want you to hear me very carefully. If that's the case, they're going to hit hell so hard they'll knock the bottom out. You know what I'm talking about? You understand that? You can live like a hypocrite and you'll be lost. Jesus talked about the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, they say and do not. But here's what he said in verse 33. You offspring of vipers, how shall you escape the judgment of hell? That's Gehenna. And the idea is if somebody's living the life of a hypocrite, if they say one thing and do another, what Jesus is saying is they don't have a prayer. I wouldn't let a hypocrite keep me out of the church. Because you see, I understand but those who live the life of hypocrisy, they're lost. The church is a hospital. That is, the church is intended to help sick people. Hypocrites are sick, yes. There's coming a day and time when Jesus will separate the wheat from the chaff. Don't let hypocrisy keep you out of the church. And then there are some folks that will use any number of excuses to keep them from being involved in the church. Let me just cite for you a couple of excuses. How many times have you heard somebody say, I'm just too busy? Listen to me, we're all busy. You live in this world, you're busy. I don't know of anybody that's not busy. I've heard people tell me that when they retire from whatever profession they had been involved in. That in retirement, they became more busy than when they were, when they worked five days a week or six days a week or whatever. You do what you want to do. The Bible tells us we're to be involved in the kingdom of God. The Bible says that we have been created in Christ Jesus under good works. Paul said in Titus chapter two, verse 14, that we are to be zealous for good works now we can say we're too busy, we got too much going on. The bottom line is maybe we need to build a bigger fire. We got time to go to the ball games. We got time to do this and do that and work and all these other extracurricular activities, but we don't have time to be involved in the work of the church. Whose fault is that? Sometimes we say, you know what? Got so much going on, schoolwork to do. Don't have time for Wednesday night Bible study. I want to ask you a question. What's more important, important than learning about God? 
How's that science test going to help you get to heaven? How's that math project going to help you get to heaven? Sometimes as parents, we excuse our children from coming to services because we say they have schoolwork to do. Let me tell you what we're telling them. We're sending them the message that schoolwork is more important than God's work. It's exactly what we're saying. And we can slice it any way we want to slice it, but that's the bottom line. Jesus said, but seek first. That means before anything else, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Somebody says, well, that sounds awfully tough. It's tough, all right. It's truth. It's exactly what the Son of God said. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's not my embellishment of what Jesus said. That's not my interpretation of what Jesus said. It's called a quotation of what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Is Jesus first in your life? Sometimes we say, well, I'm too busy, got schoolwork, got all these things that are pressing. It's amazing to me the number of folks that will not come back Sunday night, will not come back Wednesday night because they say they're too busy. But on Monday night, they'll be at the ballpark. Tuesday night, they'll be doing something. Thursday night, they'll be doing something. Here's the bottom line. You do what you want to do. It's true. Just be honest about it. You do what you want to do. If you don't want to be here, then just say, I don't want to be here. Because that's what your actions say. You just don't want to be here. I'm telling you this because when you look at the text, Jesus said they all with one accord began to make excuses. What's your excuse? You can come up with a hundred reasons why you can't do this or do that in the kingdom of God. I want to ask you this question. Are they valid? Are they valid? In the eyes of God, are they valid? Sometimes we say, well, I just don't have enough ability. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul talks about the body. How every part of the human body has a function. Same thing's true in the church. Every part of the body has a function. You have an ability. Now, maybe you don't have the ability to lead singing, to teach a class, to preach, or whatever. But you have the ability to take out a card and write on that card, we missed you in Christian love. If you can do that, that's an ability. You have the ability to pick up a telephone and call somebody and say, you know what, we missed you. You've got that ability. How many times over the course of seven days do you use your telephone? When you call other people, you could call somebody in the church. Now look around. There are folks that ought to be here today. Guess what? They're not here. You might be the very person to reach that individual. Just got to take some initiative. And then there's the idea, let somebody else do it. Let the preacher do it. Let the elders do it. Let the deacons do it. Why not you? What's wrong with you? Why can't you do it? You ever thought about how many opportunities there are for service in the kingdom? There are a lot of things that need to be done in this congregation. A lot of, lot of work 
A lot of work needs to be done. Can't be done without you. So, excuses are just that, they're excuses. Thirdly, there are some exclusions. Listen now to what Jesus said. Beginning in verse 21, so that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel, to, compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Think with me very quickly about the will of the Lord. First, I want you to see that there are occupancies in the Lord's house. Look at verse 22. In verse 22, Jesus said, still there is room. There's a place for you in the kingdom of God. Did you know that? The kingdom will never get too big where God says, wait a minute, we filled our quota. We don't need anybody else. We've hit our ceiling. That's not the case. There's always room for another person. There's room for you. Do you believe that? And then note, if you would, the objective. Look at verse 23. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Now note that my house may be filled. God is interested in a full house. That is, he's interested in the kingdom being full of people. What does that say about you? What does it say about the worth of the human soul? Did you know that Jesus went to the cross for you? Thought enough about you to go to the cross and die for your sins? If you had been the only person on earth that needed a Savior, the Son of God would have gone to the cross and died for you. Jesus is interested in his house being full. The kingdom of God needs to be full of precious souls. But then I want you to hear the word of the Lord. Look at verse 26, or rather verse 24. In verse 24, Jesus said, I say to you that none of these men who were invited shall taste my supper. Here's the bottom line. You got an excuse? You got an excuse for why you won't become a Christian? You got an excuse for why you can't serve in the kingdom of God? God says come, you say no. God says do this, you say no. I got, I've got other things to do. Here's the bottom line. On the day of judgment, you know what the Lord's going to say to you? You said no to me. Here's what I'm saying to you. No. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said he'll say to those that did not do his Father's will, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Now you knock all you want to knock. And you can beg all you want to beg, and you can plead, you can cry, you can do whatever you want to do. But here's the answer. No. No. You're not coming in. You see, right now, you have the opportunity to obey the gospel. I know sometimes we come to services, we listen to a lesson, sometimes it, sometimes it rings our bell. And sometimes we hear things that scare us to death. You know what happens? We walk out those doors. We go to lunch. 
We think about it. We feel guilty. We think, you know what? I ought to do better. I ought to become a Christian. And then, by two or three in the afternoon, what happens? We have dismissed it altogether. We're over it. That's the devil. You see, the devil, what the devil wants you to do is dismiss this. The devil wants you to make excuses. Sometimes folks say, you know what? I'm going to do it just not today. I wonder how many folks will be in eternity one day. And they'll stand before God and they'll say, I had every intention of obeying the gospel, but I never did it. Every intention of living a faithful life, but I never did it. And God's going to say, no. God's going to say, I know. I know that's what you thought. But you're not coming home. I want to plead with you today. Get rid of whatever excuse is standing between you and the Lord and make it right. Because I'm telling you, there's coming a day when that opportunity will be gone forevermore. Be gone. There are folks in the Hadean realm as we speak that had every intention of obeying the gospel, but they didn't do it. Every intention of being faithful to the Lord, but they never became faithful. And here's the bottom line. It's over for them. There are no second chances. So whatever your state may be, you know what the Bible says to do to become a Christian? Do what they did on Pentecost. Repent, be baptized in the name of Christ. Let God add you to the church. If you're unfaithful, you need to come home before it's too late as we stand and sing. Oh.